All right. Question two, a.k.a. Question the two. second podcast. So if you're hearing this part, welcome. You've been here another week. <laughs> Hello, everybody. We're traveling And by the time. way, if you, well, how have you been doing on that um, uh, driving in that little uh, Jeep? Have you did you have a good week with it? <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> it's been good. No, no, not caught in the rain yet. Oh, that's good. It's because we're in a drought. <laughs> no, you know it's funny. Every anyway. time I look at my phone, it says it's going to rain. I like know it's like 40 percent, but then there's rain up north of us. You'll get it. You're nor- more north than, than me, so you'll probably get it. I won't. Yeah. So it's going to be. It says I have. Let's look at this. Let's talk about the weather more. It says. <laughs> uh. Oh, this is a.m. Where am I at? What day am I on? What is happening? <laughs> no wonder why you're getting rain. You're last month. Yeah, it says like this evening around seven. There's like a 30 percent chance. So we'll see. Oh, OK. I thought Let's 40. See. So, OK. Well, maybe it's dropping. Well, I need it to drop because I want to drive with the, all the stuff off my Jeep. Okay. Visiting a friend tonight. I can't go with all of it on. What's the point of having a Jeep if it's like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, you didn't buy it to have the top on it. That's right. I bought it so I could look cool. Okay. (laughs) Working with difficult colleagues. Ochoa, I worked with you for a long time. (laughs) And it has been difficult for you. I know. (laughs) No, if if anyone's more difficult, that's me because I'm moody. I have to be in the mood to do stuff. Yeah, I think you are a little bit more moody than me. Uh, totally 100 percent. i'm a i'm a creative human being my whole life is built on spontaneous activity based on my moods if my mood fits then i'm jumping in and if it doesn't i'm like ah we'll plan that test next week we'll do that lesson <laughs> plan tomorrow and then what happens <laughs> oh no then you're you, coming to me how do i get this all together yeah you're you're having a flashback <laughs> i am <laughs> how we did it but no we've we've all worked with difficult colleagues um it is common like we've we've talked about this on the on the podcast before uh but it's it's common and difficult doesn't even have to be bad right i let's not conflate what this word means because there's bad colleagues there's people that are just unhelpful they're toxic they're all those things right let's let's ignore that half for a hot second because they okay. exist. But let's talk about the people that are just difficult. Maybe the people that are just, they're good teachers. Uh, they could even be great teachers. But they philosophically disalign with you. Uh, and I think that's where a lot of our listeners, especially our Patreon supporters, I think that's where they end up being is because people that have kind of adopted this lifestyle, so to speak, or someone who's passionate about workshop or just passionate about choice and voice in general. Um, I think we run into this often to where it's like you are like, oh, you're a great teacher. And you're like, wait, you don't do choice or kids aren't writing in your space. And so when you're lesson planning with those people, that's where I think that difficulty comes up because it's like, you know, how do you navigate that? That just someone who would rather do uh, a grammar worksheet rather than have kids apply the grammar they've been working on in their writing or that would rather 
use a hundred question quiz at the end of a novel rather than having some type of authentic product that they could do <laughs> from a novel, right? Um, mm-hmm. They would rather buy something on Teachers Pay Teachers, which nothing is Teachers Pay Teachers, but they would rather do that than collaborate together and kind of build something uh, that's a little bit more aligned to a little bit more authentic choice, maybe a little bit more aligned to the kids that you have. So I, th- let's let's use that frame for this at first. So you and I have both worked with people who are good, but they just philosophically don't align with mm-hmm. kind of where we stand. And it's always this interesting, we've done this with uh, teachers and administrators, right? We've been with yeah. administrators who just simply don't see eye to eye. I sat with a principal who's, uh, when I was a literacy coach, they legit said that kids should only read nonfiction in schools. And now yes. that's a that's a philosophical <laughs> difference difference uh-huh. on a core level because she's a she was a great leader. Um, she had good ideas. Um, her idea came from a certain base and a and a certain philosophical push, but it, it's not necessarily wrong. I think that we could debate on whether it's effective or not, but it's not necessarily wrong. And so when you when you navigate those situations. Um, it's tricky because you, it's really easy to be like, well, you do what you want to do and I'll do what I want to do and walk away. But, you know, I think Rebecca's asking this question, how do you work with difficult colleagues from the sense of, you know, how do you bridge that gap? How do you begin to bridge the gap philosophically between two educators? Don't you? I think you have to start with the, with your standard again and the data on that standard. And the reason that is, is because it takes, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I tell you where, where people are difficult and I'm probably one of those people. And that is, um, you, I, I guess I'm not really, I'm pretty, and I, I'm thinking out loud all of a sudden, but the, uh, it, it's, it's where they get offended. You, you can't go into any kind of meeting and immediately get offended. Does that make sense? Because when you start saying, well, my data is better than your data," That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how did the group do? So a lot of times what you might want to do is you, you go ahead and look at your, it's a, one of the things that I did when we worked together and that was the high, middle, low process. And that is, as a group, you decided this is what we need to do. This is our standard. And then sometimes I've done this where I'm like, okay, it's almost like an action research. Okay, I'm going to do it my way. We all know that we don't agree, but there's no reason to be offended by it. Let's let's see what works. So why don't we do it this way? You do yours, you do yours, I'll do mine. We'll talk about what we're going to do. Let's share whatever. All right, now we know that this is our end product. So you start with the end in mind, Mr. Ty. You start with the end in mind. You find out what is it, you create a rubric. Like if it's a piece of writing, what do these stories have to have in them? All of them, based on our standards, what do our kids, what are the expectations? What's the rigor? All right, so you look at that rigor. Okay, and then y'all set that up together because I think the product is somewhere where we can all agree. Okay. 
your kids need to write well. My kids need to write well. No matter what we do, our kids have to write well when it's over. Does it make sense? They have to master this test, whatever it is. Okay, then you go in and you do those things, right? You come back out and you you put your, you divide your groups. You pull out about 10 high, 10 middle and 10 low. Okay, somebody else does the same thing. So everybody looks at that. And so what I mean by high, middle, low is if they're low, they didn't meet the standard at all. If they're high, they met it really well. And then if they're in the middle, well, they met most of it, but not all of it. Okay. So you set that up and then you start looking at what they did wrong and what they did right. Now, if you're a process teacher and you're a workshop teacher, a lot of times your kids end up having that writing process because they they're used to writing. They're doing a lot of writing. Okay, there's there that you typically have more highs than you do lows because you've allowed those kids to do that, especially as you go. So then as you have this conversation, what did you do that worked? What did I do that worked? And then you have to talk about it. And then from there, you create a plan together for the next thing. That's one thing I've done that's worked well, but you almost have to have an outside leader to make that happen or a willingness for two groups of people to make that happen. But that's one way. If you start with the kids and what the standard is and what is expected out of them, and we got to figure out a way to meet that standard. When you and me and our friend work together, we didn't do things exactly the same, right? But we knew what our standards were. And we were all, all three of us, though, were process teachers. We were workshop teachers. We knew that the kids had to write. So one thing we all three had in common is all of our students wrote and they wrote a lot. Yeah. Am I right? And so because of that, because of that philosophy, then we all three had, I mean, we were neck and neck all the way through. Mm -hmm. Right. So the thing is, is it, but it all starts with the, with how are those kids, what do those kids need? What do we need to do for them? And what's the best process that's going to happen? If you need, let's do an action research. Let's figure this out. And hopefully you'll be the winner and let's keep going. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. That's one way to handle it. It's not the only way. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. I think another piece would be to figure out why they're difficult, Right. <laughs> like yeah. what what is it is it the fact Definitely. that they they think that their stuff is better and if so then i think a nice way to compromise on that is share the the weight of lesson planning and be like hey how about you take this unit and i'll take this unit or you take these days and i'll take this day and that way you guys can kind of collaborate and maybe you do learn something from this person uh mm -hmm. maybe they learn something from you i think that's a good thing. Are they difficult because um, they're unhappy with teaching? That's also very possible. I've worked with those people too. And if that's the case, and it's really not a philosophical difference, it's just like a, they're a miserable difference. Then you have to, <laughs> um, then I just meet them where they are. Right. Like I've, uh, I have butted heads with people who are no. miserable. I know I have, I have butted heads with people who are miserable <laughs> in their jobs and I have, uh, done it in the wrong way a lot. But what I eventually just kind of learned is you just meet people where they are. If, if they're miserable today or that week or that year, you work with them and they're like, okay. And you just kind of go as far as you can with them. And then eventually if you, if you hit an impasse, don't, 
wrestle with it. Don't fight with it because their misery doesn't have to be yours. Um, and they'll either kind of get with the plan or not. That doesn't mean like shun them, but it's like invite them in. Invite them along. Heck, yeah. maybe maybe you just offering a invitation might be the difference between them hating life a little bit less. Because um, people yeah. don't get that for no reason, right? Sometimes they're unhappy because they had to change grade levels. Sometimes it's personal life stuff that they just can't control. And so it's seeping out into their work. Um, and sometimes they're just tired of teaching. That is very real these days. Um and so you just have to be mindful of that. So it's it's like a diagnosing, you know, why kids are grumpy in your classroom or why kids are difficult. Mm-hmm. It's like once you know why, it doesn't always fix the problem, but it helps you deal with it a little bit. Um, so that would be another thing. But I think when it comes to going back to, I guess, the the teaching style and everything and how something should be taught, maybe is I, I think I like the idea of action research. And I, I think the only pitfall of that is kind of what you already warned, but I think it, it warrants uh, another mention, which is just that comparison-itis. Because if you have mm-hmm. someone who is so against how you teach um, and you're still going to go your way and you're like, okay, how about we go do this and we come back and compare data, right? It's like this this little game that's, that's happening, so to speak. And so... Um, it's interesting. I, I honestly, I think that in a lot of cases, I think teachers can build bridges by just offering like, Hey, I know you're, you seem really passionate about this. Can I come watch you teach? Like, help me like, see why you really want to do it this way. No, um, that's good. And, and be the bridge builder, right? If they won't, then at least at the end of the day, you try. And the best case scenario, you build some bridges between them and you move forward and you get to work with them better. Worst case scenario, you're back to where you were, but you know you tried. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that is honestly the difference sometimes is if you can know that you're the one who put in effort uh, and if you can, you know, my principal, she always says, um, you know, if you can go to sleep with, if you can put your head down on your pillow and go to sleep at night, then you've, you've done enough. Um, and that doesn't always mean that the problem's solved. It doesn't always mean that the world's not still collapsing, but it means that you've done kind of your part. And I think that's what you have to do when you're working with difficult people is understand why try to try to build the bridge and then try to find ways to connect with them. I have collaborated with people who I absolutely, I loathed how they taught and we still were, we found ways to collaborate in different ways. Um, and you just kind of have to be creative enough to take those steps, but also willing enough. It does take two parties. And, uh, I think at the, I think worst case scenario, ask your, uh, Ask someone to get involved. If you have a literacy coach, an academic coach, be like, hey, I'm really trying to work with them. I feel like there's some difficulties. Maybe you can come in as kind of a bridge and help us plan together. And that way there it's not just y'all kind of headbutting. It's you're bringing in someone else who kind of helps guide the situation um, and trying to move forward from there. I think sometimes that can honestly that can, that can be a catalyst as well for, for moving something forward. I know I've done it as an AP, I've done it as a coach, uh, both effectively and ineffectively. Um, but I, I think sometimes maybe a third party can really be the difference if you, if you are really struggling to make things happen. Yeah, no, I agree. I, um, uh, I, w- I was thinking about, uh, years ago, this person, um, 
did a lot of those worksheets where it was like 40, parsing 40 sentences on one side and 25 on the other side. And we have to get our grammar before we can write. And then when our we were having common tests when they were coming out, she was like, I was never mean to her. Does that make sense? I was never like in your face or anything like that. But it was more like what you're talking about. I was always willing to help her. And what I mean by helping her is I'd always go like, hey, how are you? And you know, like being friendly. So number one, always be friendly. And number two, um, you know, try not to show your irritation if you get irritated because you can. And believe me, I have shown my irritation. So I'm not saying I'm above that. I'm just saying that I try not to. And then, um, and then find, like you said, find a way to be helpful. Uh, if it's not what y'all, what you disagree with, try to find something you do agree on. And then that's your common bridge. But anyway, in this particular case, this person, which I loved, so I, I had chalkboards and she knew how to take care of them. She was an older lady, wonderful, wonderful teacher. The kids loved her, but she was definitely from the old diagram. And they all knew how to, all those kids had knew how to diagram sentences all the way to the compound, you know, or, you know, all of that. And so they could, they could really parse those sentences. So, uh, but, but what she found out is that when we were being tested on the writing, um, my kids just seemed to write more. Does that make sense? They just could write more than hers. And she was like, I don't understand how your kids can write so much. And I said, oh, well, I just use them you know, the writing process and, and I just make sure that they have a lot of information before they ever write. Like I, I have them do all of this as I've already shared in the last pot, you know, the, our last podcast is, you know, they do five or six pieces of writing and then I show them. So anyway, she took me, she said, well, do you mind if we meet at this restaurant and can I just pick your brain? Because your kids are writing so much more and they're on level kids. <laughs> If I'd her honors kids and I'm not, I had the honors reading and she had the honors writing because, you know, they had that we didn't have a full block. So I had a writing class and a reading class and she had a writing class and a reading class. And uh, so she actually, we went and we met on, on a Saturday and she wrote everything down that I told her that I would do. And it was all about, because we we're about to have to do this persuasive. And I showed her step-by-step step how I would do it. And, um, Anyway, she came back later and her kids just, they loved it. And they, they were writing like she had never seen before. And then I, you know, cause I told her, I said, well, don't teach the grammar first this time, do all of this and then come back in and teach the grammar. And she was just like, oh my gosh, this was amazing. I don't think she stayed that way completely. Cause I ended up, they ended up moving me to become a literacy coach, but it was neat. For that particular two years, we were we found that common ground, and then we were able to work together. And I hear after that, she became difficult with the other people after I left, but I wish that they could have approached her the way I did in that particular case, because she, her kids loved her and they grew so much. So it was kind of neat to, but I also learned from her. I learned, I learned all kinds of things from her, how to keep a better classroom when it comes to management and things like that. So I think all of us have something that we can offer uh, to each other. And I think maybe finding those common grounds can be helpful. 
for listening. I just had myself on mute, so I'm going to say that again. That's it for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. This is part two, so hopefully uh, you enjoyed it and came back for both parts. Remember, we did we split it in two because Ocho was out, but let us know if you like these shorter episodes. If you want them shorter, we could do this more often. I don't know. Time to switch it up, maybe? Maybe not. We'll keep the hour, hour and a half episodes. Maybe we'll do five-hour episodes. Who knows? Just ah. We'll never manage that. I'm just kidding. You said that last time. You're like, don't promise too much. I just talk, Ochoa. It's just what comes out of my mouth. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Go to craftthedraftworkshop.com. If you want more episodes, hit subscribe so you don't miss anything else. Leave a review if you haven't already. Check us out on Patreon if you want bonus episodes, bonus content, bonus videos, and so much more. And come back next week for another episode. And as always, ladies and gentlemen, know that we are here. For you. <laughs>